Hello, my name's John Busby and I play in a band called Halfway. Uh, at the moment I'm making a podcast series on the band. We've been together for 20 years and the podcast is a way of documenting the band's work and just outlining our place on the fringes of the Australian rock and roll landscape. And essentially we've been going through the albums one by one. We made six albums and talking to the people who helped us make those records, whether it be through labels like Plus One Records, or the engineers we work with, like Mark Nevers, or Yanto Browning, or Phil Graham, all the way to last week where I talked to JC, who runs the live venue, The Triffid, in Brisbane, which has been great for us. And so this week, I'm talking to legendary music writer, Clinton Walker. Now, Clinton has... uh, written a whole bunch of great books on music and other things. But I first came across his work in the legendary magazine Ram in the mid-80s. And around the same time, I discovered his book from 1981, Inner City Sound, which outlines the 1970s punk rock scene in Australia. It's incredible, you've got to check it out. It was pretty much the handbook for the whole of the uh, Australian indie rock or underground music scene. And in the mid-90s, he wrote a bestseller, Highway to Hell, the Bon Scott biography. But he really came back to my attention in 2000 when he released a book called Buried Country, where he championed a whole bunch of Australian indigenous country singers, some I knew, like Kev Carmody and Jimmy Little and the great Lionel Rose, to some I hadn't heard of but I was about to get much more familiar with, like Vic Sims and Oriel Andrew. Yeah, I love that book. I, uh, I just love the idea of it. And as well as being a writer, from 99 to 2003, he was also a television host on a late night show on the ABC called Studio 22. That was an incredible show. It was all live and some great Australian and international bands were on it. Everyone from The Cruel Sea to Roland S. Howard to Ron Sexsmith, Mercury Rev, Eric Burden, The Church, even the Rollins band were on it. Now I first met Clinton at a show in Darlinghurst where we were playing with the Dell Pickfans and Glenn Thompson. Um, I think he was there to see them, but neither of us could quite recall. But I remember someone saying to me, Clinton Walker's out there watching, and I thought, well, I like that. And when we finished the show, we came out to the front bar, and there he was, holding court. Light blue safari suit, wire-rimmed aviator kind of glasses. Looking a little wild, but kind of great at the same time. It was something. And I found out that he was a fan of the band. He was across Patience Back, and couple of other songs we'd had out and uh yeah it's pretty good it's nice when things uh, go full circle like that and obviously we were big fans particularly of the buried country stuff yeah meant a lot so i think we met it around 2010 somewhere around there and since then he's helped us out with some press releases and uh, done some nice writing and bits and pieces for us it's been cool it's been good to uh share some of his world so here he is journalist writer biographer and really just one of the key champions of Australian underground music, Clinton Walker. Uh, hey, John. Hey, Clinton. How's it going? Uh, good, thanks. Here we are. What started your interest in music beyond, say, the way everyone else likes music, where everyone gets into music in a window and then yeah. just carries that window through life as a part of nostalgia as opposed to making it a living or whatever. Yeah, look, um, well, one of the things is is when you make music your living, 
um, it, it ceases to be the the thing that gave you that to the same extent that gave you that joy in the first place because you're professional involved you know yeah so sure a little bit of that um dissipates once yeah you, it becomes your kind of vocation i call it i don't even call it career um but no look for me i was just a kid i was uh, as i like to say now stranded in the western suburbs of brisbane yeah i got a transistor radio it's about 1969 1970 and i and i, and I come out of a background that was um not exactly sheltered but sort of not sort of uh, overabundant with um what you know there was no politics no religion no sort of um I hesitate to use the word culture because culture is a much more broader word than just to say music and art. What was big in our house was sport, yeah. similar to you a little bit. Yeah. So that was a culture and I was totally into that. But by the time I'm 12 or 13 and I've got a tranny and I'm hearing, I remember hearing Lonely Days, Lonely Nights by the Bee Gees. I remember hearing oh, yeah. Double Barrel by Dave and Ansel Collins, if you remember. Work it, yes! Oh, wow. I like yeah, it. Okay. You know, um, AM radio in 1970, yeah. it was it was out of control. It was just yeah. insane. You could hear, it was just fantastic, you know? And so then we got a record player and I started to get records and I had a record collection at one point that started out with... Like I, you know, I got a couple of singles. My first single was Eric Burden and War doing Spill the Wine. Wow. Which I love to this day. And then I had three albums, which were all Stones albums. Right. Yep. Sticky Fingers, Exile, and Gimme Shelter. So I saw I saw Gimme Shelter the film and I was gone. I was gone. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Stones. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went through all the usual things you do in the early 70s, very early 70s, and I'll still argue this was a great period for music. It's the, the rewriting of history. I oh, know I think it's actually orthodox now, that sort of, um, you know, raised earth policy of punk. There was never anything good since, you know, the pretty things, you know. Early 70s, David Bowie, Mark Boland, you know, um, Slade, uh, all, all that yeah. glam rock I love. All that glam stuff. Early great. metal, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Led Zeppelin, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And even some of that prog stuff, especially King Crimson and a few things, it was all different by about 73. It was all sort of over. Pink Floyd, you know, I mean, yeah. Dark Side. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, so all the West Coast soft rock, mid-70s. Um, I had a line that I've used in books that I've written, so you'll have to indulge me to repeat it. Something like, 1972 was a great time to be 15, and 1975 was a shit time to be 18. Yeah, right, really. You know, because I hated Queen. I hated Supertramp. I yeah. hated um, the Doobie Brothers, who I rather like now. Yeah. I still can't come at Queen, really, or Supertramp. Yeah, but one of the things that went through there was Lou Reed was kind of, um, you know, he had a minor hit. And I saw Lou Reed in Australia in 1974 on his first tour when he was doing Rock and Roll Animal. Yeah. Uh, with white hair. I remember seeing that famous interview, you know, where he does that interview with the Australian journalist. He's really belligerent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, why would that arsehole appeal to me? But, you know, it was just <laughs> something. And it really sort of tumbled from there. It was like, Lou Reed, wow. And... You know, it's hard to overstate how difficult it was to get onto this sort of alternative um, sort of thing to what was given, whether it was West Coast or English metal and prog rock and all that. Yeah. And I'm talking about Iggy and the Stooges and the New York Dolls and, and they're sort of the roots of punk rock. And, yeah. you know, 
okay, so subsequently I become part of that punk rock sort of thing, and that's where it had come from. And so it was hard to get onto. But then I met um, the Young Saints at high school, and um, and um, and they were onto a lot of this stuff, you know, that was yeah. uh, MC5, Stooges, or whatever. But, you know, the thing was, um, I think it was even theoretical, because none of us had heard the first Stooges album. Yeah. Until, I don't know, I got raw power. You could get that from the record club, and a few of us had raw power. But Funhouse and the first Stooges album, it was theoretical. Yeah. We'd never heard it. I remember hearing the first yeah. Stooges album, the first time I heard it. And it was like, oh my God, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So to cut, to jump ahead, that was what happened when I heard the first Ramones album, the day yeah. it hit Brisbane into um, <laughs> Rocking Horse Records. And I got it, went home and I went, exactly, exactly. That's what, it, yes, that's what it meant to me. You know, this is before yeah. the Sex Pistols or anything. So, and yeah, if I was lost to the cause, as soon as I saw Mick and Keith in Gimme Shelter, I was really terminally lost after that. And that's what happened, you know. I started yeah. to make punk fanzine, started to write for magazines and did all of that and got into that. I was at art school and, um, and I wasn't too impressed by the rise of conceptual and theoretical and performance art. In fact, I know that and it's weird later on, I realized that Nick Cave had sort of taken a similar view, was like performance art, you know the best performance art? Fucking punk rock. <laughs> I didn't want to do all that stuff at art school. And yeah. I heard this music, so. Pulled you out of it. Yeah. I mean, I first discovered your stuff, uh, your writing, um, through Inner City Sound. Uh, when I was in Rocky yeah. in the 80s, a mate of mine had a, had a copy of it. When, yeah, we were, right. when we were starting to get into indie rock in Rockhampton, he had a copy of that. Yeah, right. Of that, and uh, we had the Orgogo catalogue. Yeah, right, yeah. Start watching Rock Arena a bit later. Yes. And the Ram magazine, which you also wrote for. So those yeah, little, yeah. they meant a lot then, they mean a lot now. So for, yeah, three people in, in Rocky. But um, yeah, that was you our were, thing. You were, the, you were the three guys. Yeah, you yeah. shared a leather jacket, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the leather jacket. Brad Camp's leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, during that period, it kind of was a period of culture war. And... Um, yeah, and um, the demarcations were quite distinct. They were, yeah. Yeah, they were quite distinct. And in the music uh, media, which, you know, I became a journalist, which was not what I thought that I was going to be. I was just writing yeah, about, yeah. oh, that's journalism. It's, oh, okay, I'll, I'm doing that and doing that. But, I, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't interested in, um, in what I wasn't interested in, you know. And yeah, so most yeah. of what I was interested in was... was you know, so In Excess and all those bands, that, you know, they all went to America and become big yeah. pop stars. One of my theories was, well, they don't need me, you know, whereas yeah. I saw all these other things that were in Inner City Sound or whatever, and I saw these, these this really great music not getting sufficient acknowledgement such yeah. that all those people were sent into exile, whether it was yeah. the or the Go-Betweens or the Trippets or the rest of them, sort of going, well, wait on. Now, yeah. I'm pretty certain... In fact, I've got no doubt that, um, yeah, the record business wasn't up to it. They just didn't have the sus. But as much as I wouldn't want to speak in defence of the record business there, I've come to appreciate more so, as I understand things better, 
um, that in Australia, there's no margin. There's no margin for error. So yeah, that old argument, if you're in the UK or the US and there's more of a margin and you're going to get that sort of 2.1%, it's yeah. going to be sort of okay. Whereas in Australia, it's not. But the record companies were hopeless. And I've just been reflecting on it lately as I'm re-editing a new edition of um, Stranded. Yeah. Um, that like, man, they must have just tripped over good bands trying to scrabble their way to these shit bands like the Venetians, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, they did, literally. Festival did that. They scrabbled over the bloody um, half-mangled semi-corpse of Died Pretty in order to get to the Venetians. Wow. Now, ironically, Festival eventually did sign Died yeah. Pretty. It's like, I just like, wow. And it's interesting talking to Peter Oxley about this in, in, in retrospect too, you know, of the Sunny Boys. Yes. And he said, look, you know, we were caught on the mill. We're just playing the Australian circuit and we could see the birthday party and the go-betweens and they were going overseas. And, and we're sort of saying to Michael Gadinsky, let's just do that because Miles Copeland at IRS, you know, he wants yeah. to try us yeah. out, put out a little single, see how it goes. And Mushroom and them, they just couldn't get there. Oh, no, well, that's not Stadium Rock. So, you know, why waste yeah. your time with a little label like that? Yeah. Well, what did IRS do for REM? You know, there's a few acronyms there, isn't there? <laughs> they made REM. Oh, and they could have made the Sony Boys. But the Sony Boys were so much better than the Knack, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the yeah. business was here. It was just woeful. I, I didn't have so much a sense of fighting the good fight as I was just um, hanging with the people I liked and listening to the music I liked. And Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Occasionally I think back to that time and I was only a teenager in the mid-80s. Sometimes I think it might be just a romantic notion, uh, fighting a good fight that didn't really exist. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it sort of was, but, you know, what yeah. that's just about is, is pretty simple. Like, it's the good shit. I mean, and yeah. I can't be bothered with the shit shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I only want to do the good shit. So, yeah. <laughs> that's good. I find it reassuring. Oh, it's weird. You sort of get what you wish for. So, and I remember I used to have this discussion with Lindy Morrison. Yeah, but Lindy, you're a fucking legend. And so, but yeah. now I can sort of go, yeah, well, I got nothing. I got no, I don't get paid. I don't, all of this, uh, yeah, well, it's sort of legend in your own backyard, sort of okay. But so, yeah, um, and it's nice to talk to you and other people and, and all of that, but um yeah, well, it'd be nice if life was a bit easier, and um, doesn't get any easier the older you get. <laughs> How did I encounter you guys? So see, that's all. Well, I remember the first time I met you, but I don't know what brought you to the show. Um... We played a show at, uh, I don't know, it was in Sydney. It, might, it was in one of those little pubs in like Darlinghurst or somewhere. Maybe not, I don't know Sydney very well. Glenn Thompson was there. You were there. Yeah, right. Wayne Connolly came. We've always known Wayne. Yeah. And someone said to me, oh, Clinton Walker's outside. And uh, I was like, oh, because I'd never met you. And I, you know, I figured you were a Sydney person or you'd lived there, but I didn't really know. What I, what I, what I, do remember is being completely knocked out by hearing, um, you know, Patience Back and some of the songs in that period. Yeah, in the in the early stuff. Yeah, when, Honey, I Like You. Um, yeah, that, that was on. So the when did they date? Honey, I Like You is on our fourth record. That's on Any Old Love. That's about uh, 2014. That came out, and Patience Back came out. Patience was Back that a Forster out. record? Uh, the second Forster record. Yeah. Right, right. So it might have been through Robert, maybe? Yeah, I don't I don't think it was Robert. I, I think 
I might have just stumbled across it. Yeah, you may have. Stumbled across some songs and thought, wow, I like these. We're on Laughing Outlaws, so like Jason Walker and a few other people were, you know what I mean? It could have been that, you know. It it, it could well have been through that whole Jason sort of. Yeah, it could well have been through Jason and friends have always been friends and uh, we were on the Sydney label with him, so uh, more people probably knew about us in Sydney than, say, uh, Melbourne people did at the time. In the 2000s. Have you done okay in, in Melbourne? No, I would have thought Melbourne would be your kind of town. The last few years in Melbourne have been pretty good. Yeah, live shows have been really good. But it was a pretty slow grind, a bit of a hard slog. I think maybe our version of Roots music or our version, a combination of indie rock and Roots music is not nudie suits and Graham Parsons, even though I love those things. It's just not our thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I find, you know, I, I find, you know, I mean, a lot of people might come to me with expectations of what I'm sort of into or do or whatever and might say, oh, yeah, so you must be big into Americana. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because because it is sort of too uh, orthodox or, um, you know, I'm... I'm yeah. you know. There are lots of great bands who play straight old country or roots-based rock or country, but... You know, we just have to be. We just have to roll with our own thing. And the band's been together 20 years this year, so... Um, yeah, you know it's really too late to try and be anything other than what we are. <laughs> it's just it's too like, late. And, to turn know, back, and we're we're more than happy to disappoint. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's a uh, that, that yeah, that's a good credo because um, it's probably going to be shit whatever happens, right? So <laughs> that's what. All, but in this one, I'm talking about that sort of be careful what you wish for kind of thing. I mean, I, I could look at you know so many of the things that I really uh like and they're probably you know and, and i do i hate those words alternative whatever but you know it's probably fringy sort of stuff i mean yeah. iggy pop is now sort of a a, a rock icon and that yeah time that wasn't the case but um yeah. it's funny i was reading a um i was reading that book which i got from the library called 1971 by david hepworth and right. it's, it's you know it's come out of a series of m- magazine columns how yeah. 1971 was this uh, incredibly important year, which sort of was when I'm reading it going, shit, that's when I was like 15 and I was getting all these same records that he's talking about. Yeah. He said, in 1971, Rolling Stone gave best album of the year to the year's best-selling album, and that was the last time. That's never happened ever oh, again really? since. Right. And, of course, it was Rod Stewart's... Um, not never a dull moment. What was oh, it called? The one that had Maggie to... May and all that. Oh yeah, what is that one? Uh, what's it called? Uh, Every picture tells a story. I love that I record. I still do. well, I love the faces in the yeah, did, me uh, too. Not as good as a wink in that yeah. same year. You know, yeah, Rod yeah. made three albums. In- incredible. But like, yeah, that's it. There seemed to be this separation of kind of like uh, good and big. You know, but yeah. I, I see music is like, uh, you know, good, bad, big small there's four points and there's all sorts of things in between so yeah. I, I got no resentment for anyone who's big and successful it's just if they're shit i'm not going to like them and, yeah. and 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 being good or shit's got nothing to do with either being successful or unsuccessful you know yeah. you just do your sort of the thing that you do and you know you might be lucky or you might not you know yeah that's pretty much where i land as well um you know i've come too far to go back and uh we push on regardless yeah yeah and i love it can't wait to get back to brisbane and Get to the rehearsal room. You've got to be champing at the bit to get into that room then. Yeah, I am. As I said, little studio up here. Set a studio up at the other end for the band, demoing for a record next year. But 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a bit tricky. The rehearsal schedule a band of a couple times a week for 18 plus years is uh, has been broken. But yeah, yeah. I, I guess we found out one thing: it's not the only thing that keeps the band going. Rehearsing, it's right. uh, it's it's more than that. But right. I do I do miss it. What what is it though? I mean, you know, how does that work? I mean, you're you're putting in songs and. There might be some songs coming from the rest of the band as well and all that. Yeah, well, at this stage, uh, I put songs in Dropbox and the boys are adding parts to it down in Brisbane. And then when we get to the rehearsal room, hopefully uh, we hit the ground running. So, Buried Country, I can remember when that came out about the same time as we started the band. Uh, yeah, we loved it. Um, Chris, myself and the boys, uh, putting all those great indigenous artists front and centre. I mean, so many people I'd never heard of. It was a real eye no, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I know you've had your ups and downs with it, but... The, um, it, it's the sort of thing that you wouldn't have done if you knew what you were getting yourself in for. It's one of those sure. classic things. But you must be proud of it still, right? Oh, look, to have gone through the things that I've gone through subsequently, um, that um, I realised it was quite a different time. Yeah. You know, it was only 20 years difference, but yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, look, I mean, that was no different to um, any of those other things that, that I'd done, which were like inner city sound and stuff too, which was like, wow, this is really interesting. I mean, you know, you're championing people for the most part who don't have a voice, right? Yeah, well, you know, you know I mean, and I, and I do think it's just that. And I, I don't think Deadly Warm Blues was sort of very different in a way. Well, it was a different format thing. And, and because it was a different format thing, that's where some of the, the problems arose. Yeah. But um, it was the same thing that, you know, Deadly Warm Blues or Berry Country or Inner City Sound or other things I've done. It's all like, wow, look at all this great shit here. Most yeah. people don't know anything about it. There's no reason that they shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just going to sort of amplify the voices. But in the 80s, but we had a band and um, when it was actually, uh, well, you know, there was Psycho Billy and Cow Punk and all that silly shit. And yeah. there was all, you know, but I tell you, we loved the Cramps and we loved the Gun Club, right? And, <laughs> yeah. um, we loved both those bands and I still love both those bands, yeah, especially the right. Cramps. And it was called New Country. There was Dwight Yoakam and Steve Earle came along pretty yeah, yeah, soon yeah, too. Yeah. And I loved that first Steve Earle album, Guitar Town, the minute it came out. And yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I recently put together a playlist on Spotify, which is the world of the killer sheep. And so what we were listening to, all the songs we covered, some of the bands we played with and our friends and all that, Cool. And um, so, so we did, we did, um, so we were sort of playing country, but yeah, we were fucking country up. We, I used to always say we were like, we wanted to play country like the G Jesus and Mary Chain was playing bluegrass, right? <laughs> yeah. And I listened back to it and that's actually kind of what it's like, but we went to Tamworth anyway, right? That was the thing. And oh, that nice. was my first real encounter. I had heard, we went there a couple of times and I'd heard um, Warumpi Band and I loved their first single, Jalen Guru, um, is, is still to me far and away the best thing they ever did. It's yeah, phenomenal. It's killer. The original, the original seven inch debut recording version. Um, is it a different version, is it? The seven inch to the... Yeah, there's two versions of that song out. Oh, I need to And the re-recorded to me is not a patch on it. And I'm no huge train spotter, but I will always be categorical about that. Yeah, the original okay. seven inch 
Hot Records single version. Yeah. But I remember hearing that and going, fuck, it just went, it did that. You know, just yeah, blew yeah. me off my bloody stoned chair. <laughs> and then we went to Tamworth and we saw Roger Knox. And that's where it all came from. I saw Roger yeah. Knox. And then I got to meet Jimmy Little through a few things. And I was thinking I wanted to do something in the area, but I was, and, but then I just sort of gradually out of my interest and I was a crate digger, you know, so I, I yeah. got records. I got, I got the Vic Sims album. I, I, in fact, I had two copies of it. So, but I got that and I went, oh my God, look at this, you know? And so that's what, just what happened. I got this, this is a whole, but I'd read books, obviously, like um, Peter Grulnick's Feel Like Going Home. And I'd read uh, Nick Tosh's on country music and, and some of these really good writers, and um, yeah. So uh, if anybody wants to lump the uh, lump the uh, accolade on me and uh, describe it as something like Harry Smith's uh, catalogue of American folk music, um, but that wasn't what I was sort of trying to do. Um, but uh, so, but you know, okay. And so finally, the point is, as you do with songs, you put them out in the world, and they really don't belong to you after that point. No, and people, they don't interpret them however they like and Berry yeah. Country took on its own life yeah and so here is you know 20 20 years later you know the book get, gets reissued and a new version of the CD and in fact I'm just negotiating now a uh, digital release of, a, of an album uh, so that'll be the fourth iteration of it and it goes into a live stage show and yeah, cool. so you know it's got a life of its own and the stage show was good the stage show was actually eventually killed uh, for political reasons which was just Right. I think shameful. Yeah. Uh, but I tell you this, Oriel Andrew died through the course of our run. And what happened with Oriel, she was, you know, like not young, um, a, a bit older than Roger. Um, but um, yeah. it took time off a life, but it put time on to a life because yeah. it was really draining for her to do in her health and her age to do this thing. But you could see it when she went on stage. She was like, she was getting the victory lap of a lifetime and it added time. I remember the first night we played and we went back to a, a suite in the hotel, motel we had in Newcastle and Oriel sitting up there smoking and drinking and she was the queen. And, you know, <laughs> to give that to Oriel, that's just, um, that was pretty good. So it was, it's great. It's been a great experience. I mean, it is. It's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, and so many great songs, as you will know. You know, Absolutely. And like, and you would go, wow, well, these songs shouldn't have been obscured. And, um, you know, and yeah. and then Luke picked up on the on the, um, on the the Vic thing and did that, yeah. which was a great thing. And in, and in many ways, that was sort of a bit of a precursor where I came to understand, right, this could be, you could do something. But I was sort of really thinking, I was only approached, this has been in terms of doing the, the touring stage show, yeah, uh, Mary Mialakos in Melbourne, who's another fantastic person I got to know through all this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, said to me, um, you know, you ever thought of putting this on stage? Don't be insane. But then I went, wait on, the painted ladies did that. It's possible yeah. you, you can do that. Okay, let's give it a shot. That's what yeah. it was. That's what it was. And so it was such great, great fun. Such a really um, precious uh, time of life. Yeah. of other things too that you know that I, I still um as i said i'm doing a new edition of stranded so that's been um kind of be interesting to inner city sounds never been out of print um 
Highway to Hell, my Bon Scott book's never been out of print. So I will make this claim for myself. I don't think there's many Australian music writers that um, can make claims like that. I wouldn't think so. Not many of them can uh, admit to having had a book pulped. So, you know, <laughs> I've got, I got the, the high, gamut. Yeah. Yeah. The highs and the lows. Well, look, I honestly think that, I think that, yeah, and, okay, can, and this can, can pertain to a little bit to um, maybe your situation in Halfway, and, and that too is really where if you really do stick to your guns and, you know, stick your neck out, um, to me the way I put it is that I, I've refused to submit to mediocrity, right? And yeah. I've seen yeah. this happen with... Um, especially in journalism and, and music writing and stuff like that. And I would not give into it. And so what happens as a result of that is um, it is that sort of, unfortunately, uh, tall poppy syndrome where you stick your head out too far. I mean, people are real. So yeah. I, I, I kind of feel that in some ways you, you get your own just desserts if you want to stick to your guns like that. So you will have some really good highs and yeah. some really bad lows. You yeah, know? you'll have some crushing lows, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and so I've, I've had plenty of them too. Yeah, I get it. I mean, yeah, totally. If you're going to make something and try not to compromise, or, uh, yeah, yeah, at times it'll be a grind and, yeah, the lows will be low, but, uh, hey, look, it's the, it just comes with the territory of trying to make stuff or th- stuff you think's good or someone's going to... And a lot of that, that, for me, and I've pretty... pretty pretty certain it might be for you too is that given that those other rewards whether fame or money or anything they're not you know but it's like you know for me it's just finding something to do to make sense you know on a daily basis you know yeah i gotta yeah. do something for me it's been good i mean and it's probably similar for you too i mean uh you know an idea i had when i was a kid of something i liked that i thought was worthwhile uh i got a chance to have a go at and stick to you know inner city sound whatever that thing there's something good about an idea you had when you were, um, or getting some ideas you had when you were 17 or 16 that uh, yeah, stick with yeah, you right yeah. through life, you know? <laughs> Imagine if you'd had an idea when you were 27 and you were better informed, or when you were 47. I mean, I, I do sometimes um, re- reflect on that, not too much, because you can just involve regrets or something, but, um, but, but honestly, for myself, in some ways, I, 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 I do think... Um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe I could have set my bar a bit higher. I mean, the weird thing was, you know, I, I ended up, you know, I left Brisbane, I went to Melbourne, I went to Sydney, and I was writing for Ram straight away, which which was sort of an unstated sort of goal, I suppose. I want to yeah. write for Ram, I was writing for Rolling Stone. Sometimes I've sort of thought, because as I've sort of gone on, um, well, put it this way, I look back at the days when, you know, they would let Molly Meldrum produce records, and I go... Well, let me produce it. So, now, yeah. you know, having produced uh, live stage shows and all that sort of stuff, um, I sort of feel I could have, that would have been in. Yeah, but look, um, but anyway, I'm working yeah. on a musical, so I'm going to write that. You know, I'm going to yeah. write that. And um, and I've written songs in the bands I'm in, and I'm not going to I'm not going to downplay what it takes to be a great songwriter because I know great songwriters and uh, I, I know the, the material... Um, but um, you know, I'm going to take that on, and that'll be yeah. uh, that'll be interesting, um, and we'll see what happens. You know, but yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind relaxing a little bit uh, more because <laughs> I'm sixty. I'm nearly sixty-four. Well, it's good to be still moving into new stuff too. Oh yeah, 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 you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, variations on a theme, but uh, yeah, to be still moving is pretty great. I mean, that's a little bit like what it was like when we did the restless dream thing. It was 
Oh, it's only a small progression because I'm just still writing yeah, look, songs, but it's still something slightly different to the here are 10 songs for a record. For me, I've had enough of making albums with 10 or 12 songs. I've had enough of yeah. writing books and I'm not going to... Yeah. I've got a couple on the, on the you know, A New Stranded and another one about songwriting, Australian songwriting. Yeah. And um, they've been slowed down to sort of trudging through treacle to get there to get them done. But I, I'm, I'm not going to do anything like that again. So, you know, yeah, but I yeah. am going to do a graphic novel because there's a, there's a leap into a slightly different territory again, you know, which yeah. will... Totally. The art that I like doing as well. So um, that's, a, that's a different step as well. So I'll, I'll yeah. do that. Losing ground. Now we don't wait anymore. And what about, uh, I'll have to ask you at least something about Studio 22 because that obviously <laughs> was pretty big in my world. Some of those acts you had on there were pretty great. You had Mercury Rev on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, it was great. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I had fallen into that. And again, it was like, you want me to front the show? Okay, fantastic. I think I can do that. It was yeah. it, it was very challenging and, and sort of good. I understand why television was riven with cocaine back in the day, because uh, <laughs> you need that charge to do it. To and be, there's yeah. no doubt, I learned on TV, um, you have got to amplify yourself three or five times larger than life in order to come across normal yeah yeah i bet yeah it was great and so i was in just such a fantastic position to sort of um you know see really close up and, and meet these sort of people i mean like uh, there's a couple of anecdotes spring to mind one was um but I'll, okay okay Th this is the story the great australian moment on television that no one knows about and i don't know if you're aware of my topless outro on um, henry roll i was about to say that Roland's played and you took the shirt off for the outro of it. Was that it? Yeah, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the backstory. We had done a whole day in this nightclub with an outside broadcast van because we couldn't get the Gortel studio that day or it was the whole the whole show was devised in order to not waste studio time. Okay. But for some reason we couldn't get the studio that day. Anyway, we had three acts that day in this nightclub at Taylor Square. I can't remember what it was called, an old club. Um, but um, And we started the day with Junior Brown, who you will know, yeah. Junior Brown. I'm in the boys' room having a piss at 11 o'clock in the morning with three records ahead of me, right? Yeah. And Junior Brown's in a cubicle, token down on a joint, and he says, you want some? Sure. <laughs> and so I've got a vodka cocktail and a joint at sort of 11 in the morning with a big day ahead of me. <laughs> so we do do a big day. Yes. And Hank is on last. So he does his set and, you know, it takes him two seconds to start doing his routine. It's all very theatrical. So at the end, and he's, you know, and, and I had to come on to do the outro, you go, yes. thank you, thanks, Henry, great, you know. And I go to the floor manager who was this woman who I do remember, she was great, Cheryl. I said to Cheryl, Cheryl, I've got this idea. I'm going to strip off my top and I'm going to outro Henry that way. And she goes, that's brilliant, fantastic, do it. You know, and I go, <laughs> then I go, oh, shit, really? You, oh, oh, now you make me nervous, you know? And really, you think I... And she said, wait, just wait a minute. I'll go and, I'll go and ask him upstairs. So she's got a walkie-talkie in there. And so she goes off to the corner where it's a little bit quiet and I see her and she's talking away on this uh, phone, nodding her head. And she, yeah. she, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. See her doing that. She comes back to me, thumbs up, go for it. Right. Okay. Okay. I'll do it. So I do it. And as soon as, and I knew that it might have been a bit, um, Henry might have thought it was a bit iffy. 
And he did, and so I did it, and it was just this totally weird vibe, and he, you can see it on screen. He's looking at yeah. me like, is that they separated us, and we went off to separate areas, but... So why'd they separate you? Oh, Henry didn't know how to take it. Yeah, it was definitely an awkward moment, the two of you with your shirts off eyeballing each other. You know, we just got separated, and the crew <laughs> ushered me off. He said, don't go to the green room. We're going over the pub across the road. So, okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, but th this is the kicker. Right. You know what Cheryl... The floor manager who had the conference call with, you know, in the yes. in the mixing room. The earpiece, yeah. She didn't call anybody. <laughs> really? She just did a mime routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nodding at her walkie-talkie and comes wow. over to me, thumbs up. She didn't call anybody. That's good. She, she just wanted it to happen. She just knew it would be good. <laughs> yeah. It was good. It was, it was good. Um, I looked yeah, at it but, again recently. The look on Roland's face is just... <laughs> Appreciate it. No worries. Have a good one, and uh, I'll send you an email with a few things to look at, eh? Yeah. Cheers, Clinton. Thanks right. for the chat. All right. Good on you. Great to talk to you, John. Great to talk to you too. Cheers, man. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, so that was my chat with Clinton Walker. He's always fun to catch up with, that's for sure. He was a big influence on me as a kid with his book Inner City Sound, and his work on Buried Country was amazing. Yeah, a real eye-opener for me personally. It's fantastic. I was just unaware of so many of those great Indigenous artists and, uh, yeah, really brought them all to life for me. And I thought I should also mention that Clinton has a YouTube channel. If you just search for Studio 22, Quite a few clips from the show will pop up, including that crazy moment with Henry Rollins and Clinton doing their shirts off, face off at the end of the episode. That's pretty crazy. But all of that aside, it was just a great show. Bands would come on and play four or five live songs. And you could have anyone on there from The Church to Eric Burden, Salivate Rifles to Rollins Band. It's great. It was just a real celebration of good music. Yeah. And one other thing uh, that we stumbled across in our conversation was uh, Luke Peacock's uh, Painted Ladies Project. Now Luke plays keys and guitar and sings in Halfway. And he came up with the idea of revisiting a classic forgotten Australian album, Vic Sims' The Loner. Now Vic is a great sort of trailblazing indigenous artist who also features in Clinton's book, Buried Country. So yeah, if you get a chance, check out the Painted Ladies playing selections of The Loner. And they also made it into a stage production, which is where uh, Clinton mentioned that he got the idea to tour Buried Country with people like the great Roger Knox and Jason Walker playing in the band. It's kind of good when things go full circle like that. It's quite rare. So speaking of things going full circle, next week is the final episode of the podcast, or at least for now. And I'm going to end it where it all started for me. I'm going to talk to a friend of mine, fellow songwriter, Tim Stewart, lead singer of the band Screamfeeder, and we all want to. Now, when I was starting out in bands in Rockhampton, a band came up the coast touring from Brisbane to Townsville, and it was Tim Stewart's first band, The Madman, who later became Screamfeeder. I think I might have lent them an amp. It's all a bit hazy, it was a long time ago. But about 20 of us went to see them at the Grosvenor Hotel in uh, Rockhampton in about 89, and uh, they were incredible. 
he was a big influence then and now so yeah i'll chat to tim next week but for now i hope you enjoyed my chat with clinton walker and i hope you enjoyed this episode of a band called halfway take care cheers